I define a bust as the biggest downturn in the post-World War II era, you know, anything the biggest since the Great Depression. And it will be accompanied by what I think will be a global financial crisis that might be the biggest in history. Um, all of that is, you know, late this year and, and next year. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with macro analyst and contrarian David Hunter. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with David, in which he details out his forecast for the S&P 500 to zoom higher by 40 to 50% in the next six months, to then be followed by an even more epic 80% market crash, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthian and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment options we discuss in this video. And be sure to stick around for the second half of this video where we highlight the extreme sell-off levels in long-duration U.S. Treasury bonds. Is it setting up a rare opportunity? For all this and more, let's get started watching part two of our video interview with David Hunter. Now, <laughs> we've talked about this violent melt-up. Um, as you're forecasting, likely over the next three to six months, um, Again, we'll have you back on in the summertime to tell us how well it's been going or not. Um, we're now at the peak of that. So let's fast forward. Uh, what happens from then and what triggers the reversal? Okay, this gets a little tricky because there's two things. There's the market and there's the economy. I think the C you heard me talk about the global deflationary bust that I think could start as early as late this year. Certainly, I expect it to be the bulk of next year. Um, that's the economy. The bust is the economy. The bear is the 80% down in, in the stock market. So, uh, you know, the, the beginning of the bear should precede the bust, right? You should, you should peak out in the market and begin the downturn, you know, months in advance of, uh, in, in advance of the bust. Um, so... Um, but I think the seeds are already sown. I think the, as I said, I think we've seen the peak in rates or in the process of peaking rates for the cycle. I think we've done much more tightening than anybody realizes and done much more damage to a fragile economy than anybody realizes. It, it doesn't mean we're, you know, because I'm calling for a stock market that goes up 40% from here, it doesn't mean I'm calling for the economy to all of a sudden zoom ahead again. I think the economy is not going to be the story. I think, I think the stock market is going to be looking at an economy slowing and thinking initially that's good news. You know, take the pressure off the Fed. The Fed's going to ease, and then it's going to be like the roadrunner running off the cliff. When you know the S and P's at six thousand, you're looking around and going, "Whoops." Where's, where's the fundamentals to justify this? Whoops, the economy is going the other way faster than I thought. Um, whoops, the Fed has lost control of this thing and went too far. So I think we, whether we get a negative second quarter GDP print or whether it you know, is farther out than that, I think you start the downturn in the economy um, while the stock market's rallying, but the true recognition of a bust, and I define a bust as the biggest downturn in the post-World War II era, you know, anything 
the biggest since the Great Depression. And it will be accompanied by what I think will be a global financial crisis that might be the biggest in history. Um, all of that is, you know, late this year and, and next year. But what precedes that can be a slowing in the economy that may or may not go into negative territory. So, so I think the tightening we're doing now is the medicine that's going to, or, or the, the toxin that's going to create the bust. Um, you know, it's not that we go through another tightening cycle that gets us to the bust. I think, I think what we've done now is really sown the seeds for that global bust. Got it. Just to add another analogy in here, it's it's would be fair to say um, we have mortally wounded the elephant, but it's going to rampage around for a good while before it it falls over. Yeah, and and the fact that we've had a two year pandemic has created a situation where we just have a more fragile system than we've had in previous downturns. And then you add to that the fact that we've got 300 trillion in, in debt and quadrillions in notional value of derivatives. And you've got the makings of things that can really take a normal recession and turn it into something far worse. Got it. And I imagine sort of the shaking up of global supply and trade um, coming out of this war with you know, between Russia and Ukraine, where with all these embargoes against Russia right now, where everyone's having to figure out where they're going to get their next commodity supply from, uh, doesn't help the situation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think we are we are looking at so many places where we're we're in situations that are worse than anything I've seen in my career, you know, and I'm sure you too, in terms of supply chain, you know, we've never had this kind of a situation before. Um, you know, shortage of Shortage, potential shortages of food based on you know wheat growing areas in Ukraine and Russia, et cetera. You know, there, there's some dire things out there in terms of what it can mean to the globe and and global hunger. Um, you know, we're dependent on you know um, specialty metals and things. You know, rare earth metals, et cetera, that Beyond are in gas. areas that we, that we can't access. You know, so. There's so many things that can go wrong. Uh, and that's why the, the harder call is the melt-up. The harder one to comprehend is the melt-up. I think the meltdown, or what I call bust, um, is the one where there's, there's plenty of things you can throw into that basket that could go wrong. Okay. So, so basically, we, we, had a, we had an unstable system that, um, A, was approaching the, the natural cycle reversal of a bull market cycle. It just happened to be the largest bull market that we'd ever had. I think we could argue, and you correct me if you disagree, that the reason why it was so long is the central planners, that was the, that was the bull market cycle where the central planners got on board and said, we don't want recessions anymore. And so they kept intervening, extending the cycle and we've used the forest fire analogy in the past, right? But the, the, the more you distort it to extend it, likely the more violent uh, the, down, the next down cycle is going to be. So we kind of had that system set up already. Um, but then you're saying, you know, the pandemic threw a monkey wrench and things, we've got these other issues going on. And now we're going to have this historically epic blow off top. We're going to have a historically epic, uh, you know, bear market reversal. In the past, you've you've pegged the magnitude of that of like sixty five percent to eighty percent correction. Is that sort of still the magnitude that you're looking at? 
Yeah, I think there's a real potential that it could be 80%, which would be the largest since um, 29, you know, 29 to 32. I think that was 90%. But um, I think there's potential of 80%, but of course, it doesn't have to be 80. It could be 65 or 70. But I think it's going to be bigger than 2008-9, which was 60, I think. Um, so somewhere, yeah, somewhere 65 to 80. Okay. And uh, over what period of time ballpark, you know, do you see peak to trough? Is it, is it a short compressed period? Is it a longer descent? Yeah, I've, I've had people on Twitter say, um, are you talking like a, a long-term three-month um, bear market or is it going to be a few weeks? I go, no. <laughs> well, we're so conditioned to it being so short now, especially after yeah. the 2020 I go no. I'm, I'm, you know, it, it could be, it could be a year long, but I'm, I'm thinking probably eight to nine months is a good guess. I don't think it's going to be one straight um, top to bottom decline. I think you'll have a, you know, maybe it'll drop forty or fifty percent, and then have a very big bear market rally um, that lasts, you know, a month or two, and then down again uh, into a much deeper uh, low. So I'm, I'm guessing uh, what I say, it's gonna be faster than 2008-9 um, and particularly the, the period, you know, the biggest part of the decline in 2008-9 was that October to March period. So I think the biggest part of this decline will probably be faster than that. Um, but I think overall, probably an eight or nine month bear market uh, with the bust itself lasting for, you know, 12 to 14 months, something like that. Okay, that was the question I was about to, to answer. Where um, do you see it? Because I know you, you see sort of a third wave, which we'll, we'll briefly touch on today. We don't have a ton of time left. Um, it doesn't matter because we'll bring you back on long before we get to that point. But do you see after the eight to nine month descent, um, is, it a, is it a rebound from there or is it more like we sort of sit, you know, kind of on a, this baseline for a while? I guess you're saying you see it going down eight to nine months and then sort of extending out until month 14. Is that kind of how you see it right now? No, no, probably not. I mean, I think what's what's uh, probably the easiest part of my forecasting um, or my forecast is calling the prediction, my prediction of what the response will be by the central banks. This will be, as I say, it could be the biggest financial crisis in history, meaning bigger than 2008-9. Um, and the only thing they have that they can move policy quickly with is money. You will see more money created times 10 than ever before. So I'm calling for a potential $30 trillion Fed balance sheet and every central bank's balance sheet to grow exponentially. And, and because they're going to be faced with a free-falling financial system, meaning I think European banks going under probably, you know, maybe an Australian or Canadian bank going under, um, you know, Asian banks in real trouble. They're going to be faced with worldwide financial crisis like they've never seen, bigger than 2008-9. And initially, it's deer in the headlights, what do we do? But they only have one response that they can do quickly. Now, you'll see, you know, parallel, just like we saw in March of 2020, you'll see parallel moves from Congress, etc. But the biggest part of the response is going to be shoveling money out faster than you've ever seen. And that's what triggers the next cycle, which I'll just say very quickly is going to be, I think, 
an inflation cycle to rival, uh, you know, probably exceed the early 80s, uh, late 70s, early 80s. So that, you know, I was saying this before we got this last year's inflation, but we're going to retrace, easily retrace what we saw, you know, in the um, late 70s, early 80s. So we go all the way back to 20% inflation rates, maybe higher, you know, back to 21% T-bills, back to 15% long bond, um, and commodities will be the darlings of the next cycle. So I hear a lot of people talking super cycle, commodity super cycle now. There's a big canyon in terms of that global bust you've got to get through before you get to the super cycle. Um, it's not a straight line from here. Okay, great, thanks. So um, I, I'm gonna say your canyon's a great analogy. So we'll, 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 we'll go from the height of the melt-up down into the canyon, and then we're going to have central banks gone wild, and that's going to create a, a huge, you know, inflationary response. And uh, inflationary, maybe stagflationary. We'll we'll see what happens with economic growth when we get to that end of the canyon. Uh, but you think commodities slash hard assets will do well in that period? Um, I'm I'm kind of talking faster because I want to get back to the canyon um, <laughs> because that's more relevant in the near term to people if we start entering that canyon in like six months as you think we might, right? So. Um, we, we roll over from the peak, we go through that eight to nine month down cycle bust of potentially 80% down. Um, you gave us a good sense of what you think is going to do well in the melt-up. What do you think people should be consider being parked in in that meltdown, right? Is it just get to cash? You said bond you know, yields could maybe even go negative nominally. So maybe you want to ride some of those long dated US government bonds. Uh, don't want to put words in your mouth. What are you thinking are going to be the right types of plays for that cycle? Yeah, there are there are really, and I, I can't obviously I can't uh, advise or make can't give personal financial but, advice. Yeah, but I'll, I'll talk about you know what I think what markets will hold up. I I really truly believe U.S. Treasuries and that's everything from T bills on out to the long bond uh, will be one of the very few assets in the entire world that will appreciate during the bust. So um, you know if if I'm right about interest rates. Um, you'll have you'll be making money and and lots of money in you know a ten or thirty year treasury while most everything else is down fifty percent or more so that's that's huge outperformance um, cash yes and as I say as long as you're in you know an insured FDIC insured account that's within the two hundred fifty thousand dollar insurance threshold um, you're probably safe this time around because if they're going to be creating that kind of money, they're going to provide whatever funds are necessary to cover FDIC obligations. So I don't worry about that this cycle. I might worry right. about it at the end of the decade, but I don't worry about that this cycle. All right. And so to chime in here, let's just say somebody has a half million dollars they want to put in cash. My guess is you would say, great, just put that in two accounts. So that absolutely. Yeah, two different inst two different institutions. Yeah. It's not the it's not the accounts. It's are you in you know it's two fifty per institution. So great clarification. Yep. All right. So USTs and cash. Uh, anything else? I know we talked about precious metals. Do you think they will? How do you think they will do in the bust? Yeah, I expect them to uh, get hit. So let's just say I'm right. The gold goes to three thousand. It might go all the way back to here. So you might come back to two thousand or nineteen hundred. Um, in in a, in the bus, so it won't be an eighty percent decline, but it might be a you know forty or fifty percent decline. Silver, 
let's say silver goes to 50, it might come back to 30 type of thing. Um, again, those are just guesses. I'm not predicting that, but, but in other words, they will be hit, but not as hard as the equity market. And they will likely bottom before equities because they will respond to that huge money uh, input and say, oh, long-term, this is inflation. Or no, we're heading for deflation. Um, I think they'll look over the canyon and start moving up before equities do. Um, so on a relative basis, you know, they're better than equities uh, in the bust, but those are still big hits. Okay. And I don't want to get too cute here trying to get too precise with something that we're, you know, has a lot of uncertainty to it. But um, in previous crises, they tend to sell off initially, usually because they're getting dragged down, you know, in the, the vast black hole of margin, you know, mm -hmm. calls, right, where <laughs> you're just having to sell anything that has value, right? Um, they have then rebounded because they then become the safety safe haven trade. Um, do you see that happening here? Or do you see them, you know, being depressed for longer, and then only really beginning to react when the central banks step in and start printing again? Yeah, as I said, I think they'll turn before equities. So if the equities are down for eight or nine months, you know, these might be down for six. Um, but just remember, if you're going from, you know, the high inflation levels we're at now, and within a year, we're recognizing that we're actually going into deflation. That's a huge, again, very unusual thing to go from one to the other extreme. That will, that will hit metals. Metals are obviously more of an inflation hedge than a deflation hedge. So, so initially, I think they get hit. It's just a question of how hard. Um, but I am calling for 10,000 plus gold, uh, $400 silver by the end of the decade, you know, in that inflation cycle that follows. I was say, that's part of that sort of third wave that, that yeah. inflation yeah. cycle. So, so, you know, some people I think will start understanding that all this money that's being pushed through the system is ultimately inflationary with a lag. So they will, I think they will catch a bid before equities catch a bid. All right, great. Well, David, look, I hate to wrap this up. You're always one of the more interesting, fascinating discussions that I have on this channel. Thank you for continuing <laughs> to, to be you, one of you them. Can you can say crazy, Adam. That's okay. I'm not going to say crazy for you. I never would, especially because, David, there have been several times over the past you know, year and a half where I have sort of seen some of your contrarian predictions and said, wow, that, that feels a little crazy. Uh, and it has come to pass. Uh, so um, we'll see if that happens this time. But but you have enough of a track record, David, that I would never paint you with crazy. Um, all right. Well, um, in, in wrapping up here, uh, if we get the melt up that you are predicting here, my guess is you would say if somebody is playing that, meaning they're long, you know, positions that that they are expecting to participate in, in the, the melt up, that you would be a pretty big fan, uh, especially as we begin to approach your targets uh, of um, risk management measurements like stops and things like that. Would that be would that be accurate? Yeah, I don't talk trading at all. What I tell people on Twitter is I'm not endorsing. Um, I'm not recommending any particular strategy or endorsing people going in or not going in. Everybody's going to have to decide how nimble they can be and, and what kind of risk they want to take on. What I do point out is that this is a very unusual thing and that you can have, if I'm right, what would normally take three or four years worth of returns to accumulate happen in, in six months time or less. 
Uh, and yet, because we're at the end of a 40-year cycle and what's what I think is coming after, you're also doing it in a, in a very high-risk environment. You've got to balance those two out and figure out for yourself, how do I, how do I play that? Because I can't. I, I'm not allowed to, as a strategist, talk you know, any kind of advice. So, but if you, if you understand it's very high reward, but also a very high risk period, you certainly don't want to be late. In getting, you know, in, in getting defensive. If you're late, it's going to be really costly. Okay, great. And that's really where I was going with this, which is you're talking about a rare slash unique moment in trading history where you could make multiple years of gains very quickly, but you're also predicting that you could then lose those very quickly, you know, as the reversal happens. And so, um, for, you know, most people are not highly experienced investors and, you know, I say this on all of our videos, but I think you're really making the case here with your forecast is, you know, either working with a financial professional who, you know, is more experienced in trading, you know, in, in investing in, in risky markets like this. And so can help determine a prudent prediction, prudent positions for you, but also put mechanisms in place, uh, you know, to help preserve some of those gains you make if indeed the market quickly reverses. And we talk a lot about risk management techniques on this program. This is probably a better environment for those than normal. And I see you nodding as I'm saying this. Yeah, absolutely. That's correct. And, and I would say what people need to understand is, first of all, know yourself, because at the top, the reason you're going to be at that top and the reason people are going to be all in at the top is because it's going to be compelling it's going to so be that devil on your shoulder saying mortgage everything you have to get more in. Don't don't think the the negative um, view you have today and the skepticism towards markets you have today, you meaning the investor, um, don't think that you're going to have that same skepticism at the top because that's not how psychology works. At the top, the entire investment, uh, the street, you know, professional and retail are going to be all in and telling you why this thing has a long runway ahead. So you have to know yourself and know that you can fight that because it's going to be very hard, just like it's hard today to see why you should be out, it should be in the market. It's going to be very hard at the top, I think, for people to understand why it should be time to sell. All right. Great concluding advice. I was going to ask you to sum up with, you know, hey, what's your parting words of advice to uh, today's listeners? But I think you just gave it. So, David, for the people that have enjoyed listening to you here and would like to learn more about you and your work, perhaps follow you, where should they go? Sure. I'm on Twitter every day. So at Dave H. Uh, Contrarian um, is my handle on Twitter. Um, I do publish a quarterly newsletter, quarterly investment letter. Uh, if people are interested in, you know, a little more meat in terms of, you know, what my outlook is and how I get there, um, the quarterly letter does that. I can't do it in tweets. Um, so if they're interested in that, just direct message me on Twitter and I'll provide you details. You know, it comes, obviously it's, it's not free. So um, if people are interested in information, I can, I can give them information on that letter. All right, David, thanks so much. When we edit this, we'll put the URL for your uh, Twitter handle up there. Uh, thank you so much again. I look forward to seeing you either at S&P 5500 or July, whichever comes first. But David, always a pleasure. Okay, thanks, Adam. All right, now's the time when the program where we bring in the lead partners from New Harbor Financial, one of the endorsed financial advisors here at Wealthion. 
uh, to get their reaction to what David just said and to talk about the current state of today's markets. I'm joined as usual by John Lodra and Mike Preston. John, let's start with you this week. Uh, it is always fascinating to hear from David, and he left it all out in the field again like he usually does. Love to hear your reaction to, to his forecast there. Yeah, Adam, thanks for, for having us, and, and always always good to be on the same uh, wavelength or channel, I should say, with with David. Um, you know, I don't envy, we, Mike and I don't envy his his job, <laughs> let me put it this way, uh, though we have to navigate the, the scenario that he plays out uh, for our clients, because you know, that is thankless work to be out there specifically with such pointed, uh, you know, uh, specific, specificity, be making forecasts like that. I wouldn't want to be doing that. Um, Mike and I would be, and our team at New Harbor would be the first to tell clients, there's no way we would ever do that. There's no way we feel have we have the specificity to do that. But more importantly, our jobs is to help our clients who are real people with real hard-earned money and real lives that they have... Um, you know, they've got to protect their financial security and we need to kind of uh, inject some 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 um, reasonableness into those kinds of scenarios. And, and David himself, I think, uh, you know, to give him, him proper credit, he, he is the first to say that nothing in what he talks about there is meant to be, you know, prescriptive investment advice or or a trading plan or strategy. He and, and offline we talked, he said, this is crazy. I know this. Um, you know, the, he's calling for a crazy end of a 40 year, um, ex, you know, market cycle that is likely going to be uh, an absolute disaster. So in that context, this melt up that he's calling for is not at all a, um, you know, come on in the waters. Great scenario. It is a, hey, this is crazy and it's going to get crazy. It may likely get crazy, whether it's, you know, 20 percent or 30 percent higher or whatever in a short period of time, or, or it doesn't go higher, you know, it's just a forecast, it's not a guarantee. He, he, he raises all the caution that this is not a trading uh, advice. And, and just, um, you know, I, I sent you a table there, Adam, just to kind of, you know, put into context, you know, what would a round trip scenario be if, if David's forecasts were to play out? And, you know, if you, if you, if you take his near-term forecast, it's about a 34% up move over the next three to six months on the S&P 500. Um, but then if you factor in his 80% potential downside, that round trip return is a negative 73% return. So even if you were inclined to be passively invested in this so-called melt-up and ride the other side of it, you're talking about a massive destruction of capital. Even a modest 40% uh, decline on, on the tail end of that melt-up scenario is, is, is a 20% or 19 and change percent um, decline round trip. Uh, and it would only take a, a mere 25% pullback, far less than his 80% peak to trough forecast to completely wipe out any benefit of his, his near-term upside target. So it's very treacherous terrain. And you know we, we are not at all endorsing, this is the definition of speculation. But if someone had a real convicted desire to kind of play out this scenario, you know, there are tools to do that. You know, we use options prolifically as hedging tools at, at New Harbor. But this is perhaps a, if, if someone had a convicted view, and this is not a recommendation by any stretch of the imagination, but if they had a convicted view of a move like that over that time frame, you know, you, you could buy, for example, an out of the money, what's called an out of the money call option on the S&P 500. I just did some hypotheticals. You could buy one that's 10% above the current market price. So you, you're, you know, not having to pay a lot for that. That would cost about um, less than 1% of the stock price. Uh, you know, uh, and it would allow you if, if that 34% upside target were to play out, 
allow you to kind of capture about 22% of that. So there's a way to, to play that that game if you believe in it. Where this again is not a recommendation re recommendation, but it's all to say that if you wanted to have conviction in that, you could do so with some very uh, contained, defined risk, and you know basically speculate with 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 some controls. Uh, you know. I'll leave it there for now. All right. Well, no, it's great. And I, I want to get a little bit more into risk management in just a minute because um, it's such a cornerstone of what your firm does. And we've talked about it a lot in past videos. But as I was talking with David, um, you know, th these are the type of market conditions where risk management, I think, takes on an even heightened importance here. And, you know, I was bringing it up with David more as um, a way to protect downside, um, but it's also a way to sort of... Um, protect against, I don't want to use the word FOMO because it's, it's, it's not really what I'm talking about here. But if you, if you want to chart a safer course, but you think, you know, the, the market, it, it, God, if David's right and the market were to just go off from here, I'd love to have some exposure to it, but I really don't want to bet the farm on that. There are ways to use these risk managed options like you just described, John, uh, to not put a lot of money down. And, you know, if you're wrong, well, you don't lose that much. If you're right, at least you catch some material amount of the rise that you're not beating yourself up too much, right? Um, all right, John, uh, Mike, let me bring you in here. Um, I've got some specific questions I want to get to, but first, just any general reaction to, to David's material that John didn't already mention? I've got a page and a half of notes here. I, I really enjoyed his conversation all the time. Um, you know, he mentioned gold uh, in, in what's likely a cup and handle or a bullish wedge. We, we agree. We think that gold's going higher than here. He also mentioned that gold will probably drop hard in, in the collapse if he's right about the financial collapse. That's very much likely and possible as well, but it, 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 it may very well happen from a higher level. So I guess the, um, the idea there is that if you don't have gold or you don't feel like you have enough uh, it's still a very good time to buy right here and now, you know, and he talks about an 80% drawdown. It's very possible. It's possible that it could happen from a higher level. It's possible that it can happen from here. It's a very dangerous market. David says so himself, you know, it is crazy. Like John just reiterated. So, you know, be careful. It's, it's um, central banks have created a psychological kind of prison in a way where um They've created a situation where it's easy to feel like you're missing out and you have to get in. Best thing to do, set your allocations where they should be, get some advice if you need it, and then just stick with it through whatever comes. And that's going to be the best thing. Great. Stick with it, though. I think I would add to that, um, you know, uh, watch it closely. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and this, you know, as financial advisors, you know, this is sort of a big part of your guys' role, right, is, is, hey, we're going to come up with a strategy but we're going to be watching how things unfold in real time uh, and amending as need be. Because um, if there's one thing I sort of took from David's forecast there is maybe even more than most of our other guests, he thinks it's going to be like volatility on steroids in the markets uh, over the next you know, couple of quarters. Um, it probably will be. When I say stick with it, I mean, in general, our bias is going to be towards uh, risk control and lower equity allocations. The worst thing would be to capitulate in and to get a lot more exposed to equities uh, if we do get that melt up at the exact worst time. So now's the time to really evaluate your exposures when when you're when heads are cooler and, and, and there's less emotion. So that's right, what I, right. That's what I, and, and, and you're you're underscoring a drum I like to be, you know, on your guys's behalf, which is, you know, a huge part of working with a professional advisor is to take that emotional 
element out of it as much as possible, right? Where you pre-agree upon the strategy, you think about the different things that could happen and how you would react in those cases. So when it actually does happen, you're going to a playbook. You're not just letting your emotions, you know, whipsaw you around. Um, uh, as I heard David talk and then heard John uh, give his initial thoughts here, the analogy that came into my head, and I'll let you guys react to this, but is um, I've just been reading some books about, you know, the old, like, you know, uh, 18th century sailors on the big sailing ships. And I, I see sort of David's role here as the navigator, which is the guy who has imperfect information, but he's doing his best to get a sense for the direction the ship is headed in, where the winds are going, what the tides are, you know, what the maps say about where the shoals are and things like that. And he's coming to the captain and saying, look, this is what I think is ahead. But it's up to the captain to figure out how to actually navigate the ship based upon that information, knowing that it's not entirely perfect and knowing that the situation could change at a moment's notice. So guys, do you do you feel like that's kind of an accurate <laughs> analogy to, to kind of where you are right now? If you're asking if that's an accurate analogy of what it's like to be a money manager, I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, whether whether somebody like us is managing money or you're managing the money yourself, you are the captain. The, the, the ultimate buck stops with you or with your manager. So you have to make decisions on imperfect information. All at the same time, you get the crosswinds of psychology. And you could even say that central bank policy is is aimed at taking advantage of our psychological weaknesses. So yeah, absolutely. The information is imperfect. You're never going to get it exactly right. The best you can do is to study, get good advice. If you feel like that's important to you, make a plan and, um, you know, attempt to stick with it when the, you know, the winds get rough. Of course, you may need to adjust the sales here and there, uh, take new information into an account, but you have to have a plan. Yeah, and, and the reason why I'm kind of you know, bringing up this analogy, folks, is because the role of this format that we have here is we bring on the expert who really their job is to try to get you know the, the forecast as close as they can to the mark. We bring the advisors on at the tail end because their role is to safely navigate capital, right? And the two, you know, there's a lot of overlap, but at the end of the day, they're two different objectives. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you can still you can still get the forecast wrong, but not grow capital um, or, you know, you can get lucky even though you got the forecast wrong. Um, but the key objective here, I know for everybody watching this is saying, look, I want to I want to have more wealth tomorrow than I do today, or at least I don't want to have less wealth tomorrow. And so it's really important to try to take the information that we've been given and then translate it into something actionable. So in the spirit of that, John, um, let me come back to you. So um, in, you know, in the short term here, looking through David's lens, kind of almost everything, you know, he sees uh, going higher from here. Um, you guys don't have to share that outlook. I'm pretty sure you probably don't share all of it. Um, and again, as I sort of alluded to, you've got to make sure that you're being good stewards of the capital that you have here. But um, I guess two questions. One, you talk a lot about the prospects for gold in the miners, and I'm sure that's music to your guys' ears because that is, I believe, still your largest long position. Um, uh, let me just ask you this. So comment on that, but also, you know, if you if we start to see signs that David's right, if the market, you know, really just sort of begins to take off from here, um, what would you guys do at New Harbor? Well, we start with uh, what I what I said at the opening here, Adam. Uh, you know, recognizing that this is a speculative 
scenario that, that David lays out here. He's the first to admit that. Um, when it comes to speculative uh, positioning, there's only so much that we are willing to do um, as fiduciaries for our client without their buy-in, so to speak, right? And because uh, we don't put a lot of risk-adjusted stock in, in this scenario. You know, it, it, what, what may come easily in, in the form of a melt-up is likely to get, be given back and, and then a whole lot more just as easily and swiftly. So that's not a game that we really want to play. And we don't trust the technical tools that we're very proficient in using. We, our heritage is very deeply in technical analysis and fundamental analysis. But when you get to you know, levels and markets that we're now, we, we think those tools become really, really um, forlorn, forlorn uh, indicators and, and uh, seductive um, you know, tools that, that you know, don't guard against elevator drops, which we think are every bit uh, potentially likely. Um, so our, our job in this, in this stage is to, to we think, to, to focus clients on the, on the bigger picture, um, you know, investing versus speculating, um, talking with them about how much leap of faith they would like to take, if any, to kind of try and scalp some of this, you know, gaming, if you will, of, of this late stage um, supernova collapse scenario that, for example, David Hunter lays out. And the point I made earlier is we have tools that can can help clients do that if they want to, right? But for us to press the button on their behalf to buy into this scenario is a really challenging thing. We don't see this as being a durable kind of uh, move higher. We think it's just, uh, uh, you know, if it were to play out, something that's uh, ever every bit as dangerous. Um, um, you know, that doesn't mean we're, we're stuck in the mud. You know, we just added, for example, some, some exposure for some clients to um, some material stocks yesterday, um, commodity stocks that, and, and David talked about those being uh, an area that are still, you know, very likely going to be strong, even if commodity prices themselves retreat a bit, which we think is, is quite possible, because um, those stocks do have undervalued uh, elements to them and, and do have pricing power to pass on those things to, to their, their customers. Um, we actually are, are near term um, constructive uh, in a modest way on treasury bonds. Um, we talked about uh, how in recent weeks we added a, a modest amount of long-term treasury bonds with a hedge. We uh, just yesterday added, added a little bit to that uh, in a hedged away. Um, and there's a chart we sent you, Adam, that shows the, you know, the retreat of, uh, there's an ETF called TLT, for example, which is a, a 20 year plus treasury, a US treasury bond ETF. The pullback in that from its, its peak, um, recent peak is, is greater than at any time uh, in a long time, even going back to the, um, the, the, the throes of the housing crisis in 08, 09. So this is a deeply oversold thing. And, and that plays into this, this scenario that David speaks of, of that the, the bond market has likely already priced in a lot of the tightening that the Fed is, is able and willing to do before they have to kind of put things on pause or retreat. Um, we are very constructive on, on the gold and gold miners especially, um, but we do have hedges in place on those. Um, uh, you know, but um, yeah, that's a tricky, tricky uh, territory. Our, our main job is to help clients really keep their uh, wits about what likely is going to be a very, very psychologically torturous scenario if this, if this were to play out. All right. Um, and thank you for, for showing that chart. Um, I know that I've seen in the comments, you know, there's, there's definitely a number of people, understandably, who have been saying, I can't believe anyone's buying any kind of bonds here at this point in time. You know, rates are going, yields are going higher, rates are going higher. 
um, you know, bonds are dead. And um, uh, I'm not going to pick a side in that debate, but I, but I, I do want to, you know, talk to the chart that you just showed there, John, which is, you know, it, it's showing that they are at an extreme level. I hate using the term oversold here, right? But, but you know, there, there's real technical proof that that what is happening right now is an extreme. And so, you know, you guys as a capital manager have to ask yourself, okay, so, you know, if something's at an extreme, there's likely to be some sort of mean reversion. Is that something I want to play or not? We're obviously hearing that from a number of people who have been on the show, um, you know, uh, the last bunch of guests I've just had on here, Michael, Michael Pento, David Rosenberg, um, you know, Lance and his, Lance has been a big fan of TLT for a while. You guys have been buying in. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just bring it up to, to show people sometimes, you know, we can get a, a, a conviction that becomes almost philosophical and it can blind us to just sort of what's unfolding in front of us right now. Now, again, you don't have to share David's incredibly, you know, extreme predictions to be able to look at what's happening with the long dated treasuries right now and say, oh, you know, maybe there might be some opportunity here. So sounds like you guys think there's enough that you're actually increasing your exposure here. Um, Mike, let me head back to you. Um, we're right kind of at the end of our time here. So I'm going to give you uh, the ability to kind of wrap things up here. Um, John mentioned that you guys are, you know, still very heavily involved in the gold miners. David obviously just gave him a, a big endorsement. Um, but John did mention that you guys have um, hedges on those positions. And, you know, the miners have run pretty well over the past uh, couple of months. Have you guys been able to, to raise uh, your hedges on those positions? Meaning that, you know, um, as the stock price goes up, you're, you're increasingly being able to protect those gains with the hedges? We, we still really like the miners and you know, we like the whole commodity complex or the, or the companies that produce the commodities and, and find the commodities. But miners in particular, we still like here at this, at this level. GDX, which is a good proxy for the, um, the, the mature large cap miners is right around 40. And yes, we were able to increase the collar or the hedge on that yesterday. And what we've been doing and have been doing the last few cycles with the miners. We've been selling call options on roughly half the position. So we, we take and we cap the upside on about 50% of the position, but it's a good bit above where we are now. And then we use that money to buy puts on, uh, on the lower end, put, to put a floor in. So we've got lots of room to adjust it, particularly the upside, because we're not totally committed. If we get a vertical move on GDX, where we, we feel like we can have some maneuverability to adjust the option on the upside. And again, we're using the proceeds from that call option to buy put options. And we have been able to, to bring it up. We're, we're now in the low to mid 30s on the floor. And that's from the high 28, uh, 28, 29 region recently. So we'd like to keep moving it up because frankly, we think GDX is going higher. We think it'll reach the mid 50s. I think I just heard David say either here today or on Twitter that he sees the same, maybe 60 or 65. So I hope so. And we hope to walk up that collar along the way. And um, it just gives us good downside crash protection in case something crazy happens that we don't expect. All right, guys, thanks so much. Well, um, another week, great guests. Uh, you guys have done a great job of sort of explaining how you are you know, real-time surfing given the current macro conditions that are going on here. A reminder to folks watching this, uh, every week we really encourage folks um, 
the vast majority of folks watching this who aren't highly experienced um, investing and in, in managing their own portfolios in the type of environment in which we currently now find ourselves, highly recommend you folks work under the guidance of a professional financial advisor. If you have a good one, great, stick with them. Uh, if you don't, um, we highly encourage that you go talk to one. If you're having trouble finding a good one or you want the second opinion of one that uh, takes into consideration the risks and themes that we've talked about uh, in this video, uh, just stick around to the end of this video. We tell you how to um, send Wealthy on a quick little request and we can connect you with one of the financial advisors that we endorse, John and Mike and their firm at New Harbor being a principal among them. And again, if you're interested in that, just stick around to the end of the video. It's coming up in just a couple seconds. Um, if you uh, have seen or not seen my recent videos where I talk about the upcoming strategic investment conference that uh, John Malden is offering uh, that starts, it's coming up pretty soon. It starts at the beginning of May. It's over 50 of honestly the, the, the highest level uh, macroeconomic minds in the business. I mean, folks, these are the uh, folks who lead some of the, the biggest in institutional investing funds out there. Uh, they're from uh, the top think tanks around the company country. Uh, there may be a former secretary of state there. There's uh, going to be former uh, Federal Reserve uh, presidents and economists. Um, there's a fair amount of people that, that I've interviewed on this channel uh, up to date, but there's a bunch that I have not been able to get yet. Um, I'm kind of gushing about this because it really is the biggest gathering of folks like this, of this caliber that I know of. And given where we are right now in the macro uh, world and, and even with David's timing, um, you know, there, there may not be a lot of time to take advantage of the advice that these people give before things really start, you know, moving quickly, whether it's David melt, David's melt up or whether it's the meltdown that, that many of us uh, also predict. So if you want to learn more about that, go to wealthion.com slash SIC. Um, all right. And if you've enjoyed this discussion with David Hunter and would like to continue to see this channel bring on guests uh, of his caliber or even higher, please do me a favor and support this channel by hitting the like button and then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. John and Mike, guys, thanks so much for joining me for another week. Great feedback. And whatever the markets do from here, we'll be tracking it next week together. Everybody else, thanks so much for watching. See you soon. Thanks, Adam. Fun as always. We'll see you next week. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth. And because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership 
with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.